For GateWorld.net, I am David Reed, and I am here with Mr. Barry Campbell. You are the head of operations for the Arc, the Navy Arctic Sea Lab in San Diego. Did that I say that right? Pretty close. Navy's Arctic Submarine Laboratory, Arctic and we're submarine. in San Diego. All righty. And what do you guys do down there? Well, uh, we're the Navy's center of excellence for anything having to do with nuclear submarines that go under or near ice. Okay. Uh, we're a small group, uh, less than 20 people, almost all civilians. But because we're civilians, we don't get transferred around every two or three years like the regular Navy folks do. So we build up an expertise in operations of nuclear submarines in the Arctic. How many years have you been, have you been making this pilgrimage to the Arctic? I've been going for about 23 years now. I've uh, gone on, I think, about 15 trips to the North Pole on nuclear submarines and, and uh, worked at about seven of the uh, ice camps that we did, similar to what we did with uh, when Continuum was up there filming. Right. Okay. You, and you had something to do with that, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, first, uh, tell me what your um, what was the, the genesis for your love of working on the ice and submarines? You know, where, where did this well, come from? Well, it was fortuitous. When I was in the Navy 150 years ago, um, I Give was or take. A, yeah, I was an officer on a nuclear submarine, and we were sent to the Arctic, uh, just by happenstance. So I, I got to go to the Arctic on a, on a submarine as a, as a uh, as an officer in the crew, uh-huh. and then I got out of the Navy after about six years and stayed in the Navy reserves. In the reserves, I uh, met up with a fella who knew a fella who was the head of operations then for the Arctic Sublab and needed someone to uh, work in Hawaii as their representative on the submarine Pacific Submarine uh, Force Commander staff. And I was living in Hawaii at the time, and I had been there once. Mm-hmm. So they flew a guy over to interview me, and he liked what he saw, and hired me on to be their representative on uh, the staff of the submarine force in Pearl Harbor. Oh, so you were and, stationed in Pearl. Okay. Right. And I was uh, I was stationed in Pearl. When I got out of the Navy, I just stayed in Hawaii because Hawaii's nice. Oh, yeah. And, okay. um, yeah. and then I, uh, so about four weeks later, I was on my first Arctic trip. Uh, with uh, with the Arctic Sub Lab, and it's been doing that ever since. Now I was in Hawaii for about 17 years, and then uh, the the job for uh, head of operations came open, and I applied and was selected. So I moved to San Diego then about five years ago. Oh, okay, yeah. okay then, and you've been there ever since. Yep. Yeah. All right. Now uh, Martin Wood, and uh, who was it that he was with at the time? John Smith. And John Andy Smith Makita. and Andy Makita. That's yeah. correct. They said I you approached there. them at a convention <laughs> in Vancouver. Yep. Yeah. Did you come up as a fan? I did. I came up, uh, I went to my first, con- when I moved from Hawaii to San Diego, I realized that you could drive from San Diego to different places, yeah. uh, unlike in Hawaii where you can't go anywhere. Yeah. And I found out about this convention up in Burbank and drove up. Well, in Burbank? In Burbank. Okay. So I found out about a convention in Burbank and loved it. It was a great time and I uh, met a lot of great people and got a chance to see some of the, uh, some of the uh, actors and this and that. It was just fun. And they announced then that they were going to have one in March. Yeah, this was in 2005 yeah. in Vancouver, and they were going to offer set tours. And I was a sucker for that. So I went up to Vancouver just to get the set tours. Yeah. And, um, and that's where I, that's why I came to the, to the conventions in, uh, in Vancouver. And that's how I happened to be in line and, and had a chance to meet uh, John and Martin and Andy. Yeah. Okay. And you let them know what you did? And... Well, I came up with a scheme to, uh, to be remembered by any time anybody would sign an autograph for me, I would give them an autograph picture of me at the North Pole. And it worked. People remembered me because of that. And it's a kind of a unique thing, so that's yeah. what I did. And I presented a, a, a picture of me at the North Pole to John. And he said, what's this? And I said, well, it's what I do. I go to the Arctic on nuclear submarines. 
And he said, man, I've been trying to get to the North Pole for 10 years. I've been trying to go up on a, on a tour or this and that. Can you get me to the North Pole? And he was just kind of, you know, being friendly. And I said, well, I don't think I can get you to the North Pole, Mr. Smith, but I might be able to get to ice camp a few thousand or a few hundred miles south of the North Pole. Well, he almost broke his arm trying to get his business card out of his wallet to say, if you're really serious about this now, you give me a call. Well, I don't know if I was serious or not because I don't get to make the rules. Came back to, to San Diego, talked with my boss, and, and felt like if we, uh, we could make it something good for the Navy and good for uh, the Stargate folks. And initially it was just going to be John Smith and a few other people, including a couple of the actors who might go down and meet some of the boys on the submarine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glad hand, uh, give the guys on the submarines a chance to meet some of the actors and stuff. Uh And then it kind of, over the next year, it kind of uh, blossomed into why not do a little filming up there. John got Brad Wright uh, involved and excited about putting a script together, and Big Navy thought it was pretty cool, so we did it that way. Now, the, the uh, bridge has always had a very positive relationship with the Air Force. Did that help Absolutely. in your, like, encouraging them to say, hey, take a look at these guys, you know, well, it's a good show? that was part of it. Uh, it was, it was uh, the, the folks that are, the Navy folks that are in public affairs know all the different shows that are on TV and realize that Stargate does have a good reputation with the United States military. Mm-hmm. And when Brad, who is no dummy wrote a script that had the U.S. Navy saving the U.S. Air Force. That's all it took. <laughs> yes, I can see where this is possible. Yeah, it's uh, boys will be boys. So they get the idea that it's possible, possible, to shoot in the Arctic. How long was it before you heard back from them, before Continuum started to be sketched out on, a, on the drawing well, board? Well, when I talked to uh, John Smith on the phone, I, I said, you know, we could invite you up to do some filming for either or both of the series. Yeah. And, uh, That's what you're thinking. Exactly. And, uh, um, but it would have to be a very skeleton crew. You know, yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna let you have maybe seventy five hundred pounds of gear, maybe a, a dozen, maybe a little bit more. That kind of folks. Can you do that? Would you like to do it? Yeah. He said, "I think we can." Let me see. So he went and talked to Brad, and they came back. And a few days later, he came back and said, "Well, I think we can put something together. Uh, we don't know what we'd film for, but we'd like to go ahead and cast our our lot to say yes. We would be willing to come up." I have no idea how long it took was from then until. Brad Wright came up with the script that got him up there, but according to John, Brad went. He talked to Brad about coming up, and Brad says, "Now, what in the world am I going to do? That's going to have the Stargate crew in the Arctic on Earth? On Earth, exactly. With a nuclear submarine involved, it could be, you know, wouldn't it could be anywhere until that nuclear submarine pops through. Then it has to be on Earth. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's what he had to, to wrestle with to come up with a script for uh, mm-hmm. for continuing. And uh, eventually. Uh, you guys, how, how many people can Aplis hold? Well, we had, how many uh, normally staffs up? Nominally, we, uh, we had staffed up for 40 people. Uh, but when we found out the Stargate folks were going to come up, we were going to have to build two more hooches. Uh, oh, to hold to build. We had to build extra hooches. Oh. And uh, the Navy, you know, they came to me and said, you know, in order to keep this from being a conflict of interest, we have to get those guys to pony up whatever money it would take for us to boost up the camp. So they did. We figured out on paper what it would take to, to host them, to get them up there and get them back from, from Prudhoe Bay and to feed them and helicopter time and, and all that stuff. And told John what the number was, and he said, yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. We'll be willing to do that. So this wasn't pro bono. This was Not the, at all. They treated it like a location shoot. Exactly right. Man. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so we, we boosted the camp up. At one point this time, I think we had as many as 55 people overnight, which is quite a large camp. Okay. And we had to, had to bring up an extra cook. 
Oh, <laughs> to feed them. That's yes, right. right. Now, when was this again? I, it was, this, this was, was in March of 2007. 2007 yeah. is when they went up to the second two weeks shoot. in March of 2007. Were you there the entire time they were? Yeah, shooting? in fact, I went up uh, in the last part of February and was on the on the flight that went out to look for look for the flow we were going to be on. My job at the camp was officer in charge of the camp. Um, it's a it's a little sounds a little more grandiose than it really is. I do run the camp. Uh, I work for uh, a Navy captain who's the officer officer in overall charge. But my, my, my job is to make sure the camp runs smoothly and safely. Okay. So I'm, I'm just dealing with day-to-day camp stuff the whole before, during, and after the camp. So I was up there for about five weeks. Uh, the submarine was involved for a couple of weeks, and Stargate folks were up there for about seven days. Now, the rest of the team up there, was were they prepared for these guys to visit? I mean, were they psyched? What, what was a the f- mood around the camp? A few of them were. A few of them are, are Stargate fans. Oh, and they really? knew okay. we were having some, some actor types up. Okay. But um, it was a little tense. I mean, uh, it's a pretty close-knit group of folks that were in, at Atlas. Because Stargate didn't get there until we'd been rolling for about ten days. So uh, we were all very close and very organized, and we all knew each other, and we all had confidence in each other and knew our, mm-hmm. our individual strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And here we're going to bring on another fairly large group of folks up who have never done this before, who are yeah. not, uh, not um, military types, but in fact mm-hmm. are wacko, you know, actor types and Hollywood, Hollywood type. types, yeah. you know. So it was a little tense at first, but it became uh, obvious very, very quickly that the folks that John Smith and Martin Wood uh, selected to come up here were not uh, typical folks. They were they were an amazing, amazing group of people. As I like to tell people, uh, my, based on looking at the uh, behind-the-scenes on the, some of the DVDs, uh-huh. whenever they go on, they can go two blocks from Bridge Studios, and they'll take 18 semi-trailers full of stuff and 300 people. Well, we were asking them to go thousands of miles, and, and we allowed them to bring 7,500 pounds of gear, which is not very much. Uh, for us, it's a huge amount. It takes three airplanes to get that much up there. And they ended up with a total of 18 people. Man. And most of those, a core group of about seven or eight people that were the worker bees. And they were doing, I mean, they had three cameras and one cameraman. And typically they have four people per camera. So it was pretty impressive what they were able to do up there. Yeah. They really worked hard. You, you said earlier that the guys that had been up there beforehand were already there for 10 days. Is Atlas not run year-round? Not at all. It's a, it's a temporary ice station. We go out and pioneer a place at the end of February. We uh, get it prepared. If we're going to have submarines involved, uh, we usually like to have the camp ready to go by about the middle of March. So you guys stake a claim on a new spot every year? Every year. Well, the oh. ice in the Arctic is constantly in motion. Yeah, and in fact, the piece of ice that we lived on for six weeks is no longer a it's single gone. piece of ice. <laughs> it's it's moved off and melted and broken up. Oh. And so when we go back up next year, we're going to go out to find a whole new uh, piece of ice to to work on. And the truth is, we like to be off the ice by about the third week in April or so because the incident radiation from the sun has softened things up to the point it's where we safe. we just can't count on having a. 2,500-foot runway every morning when we wake up. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you guys have a lot of safety issues up there. What kind of brief did you send Bridge to prepare their team? Because, I mean, obviously they're not going to go out there and say, okay, how does this work? You know, surely they would have read something. I put together a, uh, a PowerPoint brief that was about four and a half hours long, 
And wow. I gave this brief to every person that came to, to Atlas, including all the Navy people, mm-hmm. all the people from Arctic Sublab, all the other people that we got in from other Navy organizations. Did it all down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then I went up with uh, Mike Hacking, who's our head of engineering, and it was our Prudhoe Bay logistics coordinator. He and I went up, and on our way up at the end of February, we stopped off at Bridge. And we got everybody together on a Saturday morning, and they're all in the Bridge conference room with the coffee and donuts, and we gave them a five-hour orientation, safety, and survival brief. And in the process, we scared away two people who thought they were going to be coming up but decided, no, this isn't for me. Either of them actors? Uh, both of them were actors, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, one of them you probably know, uh, uh, a big fella who was... Uh, <laughs> who, who, uh, who decided that he, w- he felt like he might be mistaken for a seal and decided not to come up because that's what polar bears eat. Yeah, well, he had a good role in the film after all. He know, did so. a good job, and yes. uh, he was uh, no, you know, no stigma there. He, uh, I can understand why he didn't want to come up, and you know, that's fine. Well, it's a harsh environment. I mean, what kind of can? I mean, how does how does your lifestyle change up there? I mean, aside from the fact well, that, as Richard loves to tell, your poop freezes to the toilet every time you go. You have not lived until you set your bare naked butt down on a toilet seat that's at forty degrees below zero. You just haven't. Um, you're, it's not a lifestyle. I mean, it, it's nothing like you can imagine. Uh, you work seven days a week. Oh, you do? Uh, you get up 5 o'clock in the morning and go to bed about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, uh, and you're working constantly that entire time. There's not, you don't, uh, you know, after supper, you don't sit down and watch a movie or play cards. A, a couple of folks are able to do that, but most of us are not able to. Uh, we have work that goes on all the time. If we have a submarine involved with the camp, the submarine works 24 hours a day. Now, we can only work safely on the ice in the daytime, so when the sun goes down, we'll, uh, we'll all retire to our, our, our workstations yeah. or our bunks, but we have a command hut that works 24 hours a day. We have people on watch communicating with the submarine, communicating with the outside world, keeping an eye on the camp mm-hmm. uh, for safety and this and that. Are there guards stationed 24-7? We have somebody up and, up and awake 24-7, uh, not necessarily out and about, but we have a rover that goes out every once in a while just to make sure things are safe. Okay. Uh, yeah, we don't leave anything to chance. It's it's uh, it's pretty impressive. I mean, we've done this for since the '80s or mm-hmm. late '70s. You guys we've, have got it down to a science. We've got it down, so we uh, we're pretty good about uh, making sure things work right. Were there any polar bear scares while you were shooting? We uh, we this this particular camp, in the last four or five camps we've done, we've had a polar bear in camp at one point or another. This camp we did not. Uh, one of the helicopters during a daytime flight said he had saw seen a uh, mother and cub about 14 miles away from the camp uh-huh. heading heading away. So that was the that was the the group that came the closest to us. Mm-hmm. But we uh, we have helicopters flying around all the time. Polar bears don't like them; they make a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. We have uh, and anytime they're up, they're looking for polar bears. Besides whatever they're, else they're doing, and we have fixed wing aircraft to come in and out during the day, two or three times a day. Mm-hmm. They're also scouting for polar bears. So we have a and besides, whenever we have anybody away from camp, we send them out with a polar bear watch with a shotgun mm-hmm. just in case. Shotguns are obviously a last resort. I mean, do you have anything like supersonic that draws them? That drives we, uh, them away, the best like- thing. We have to scare polar bears as a helicopter, and we have those okay. uh, in a moment's notice. We also have, uh, you know, the little air horns that you have on sailboats. We have those, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they do spook them. Yeah, we spook them. Now they're they're not good for the long term, uh-huh. but they'll buy you enough time to to uh, to get the helicopter out there so they can shoot them off. Okay. Okay, yeah. very good. The film was dedicated to a couple of uh, gentlemen who uh, who died while while the the film was shooting. Did you know these men? The, um, we had two submarines of, uh, op- operating at the camp for the first week or so. Uh, the uh, USS Alexandria from Groton, Connecticut. Which was the, in the film. Right. And the HMS Tireless, a uh, Royal Navy submarine from Portsmouth, England. They were working together. 
And uh, for the first time ever, uh, uh, the Royal Navy submarine, the HMS Tireless, had an explosion on board. And this was about three days before the first Stargate group arrived. Um, and this explosion killed <coughs> killed uh, two young sailors almost instantly and uh, badly imaged, uh, injured a third sailor. Uh, we were able to, uh, we had a, a medical doctor at the camp, and uh, we had uh, six guys who volunteered to go out at night, four miles from camp, uh, snowmobiles at night, and uh, provide assistance to the tireless when they surfaced, including our doctor. And one of the, one of the guys we had up who was a... Uh, a mechanic turns out in his real life he's an emergency room uh, RN we didn't even know this he's there with the doctor they go out and assist the submarine in fact and then we evacuated the injured crewman back the two helicopter pilots we had are contractors they're bush pilots they're not associated with the navy we just hire them and uh, they volunteered to fly their helicopter at night all the way back into the mainland 200 and something miles um, and take this guy back in for medical attention by this, at the time, uh, Mike Hacking back in Prudhoe Bay had contacted the uh, Alaska Air National Guard. And these guys were just phenomenal. He called them up to say, we have a submarine operating in the Arctic and there's been an explosion. We have someone that's badly injured and we need a med- medical evacuation. The guy basically hung up on him and said, I'll call you back in 15 minutes. And Mike looks at the phone and says, what is this? 15 minutes later, he gets a call from the guy. The guy says, okay, I'm in a C-130. We're heading north right now. Now brief me on what's going on. They took off before they even knew what was going on. The C-130 with the medical team was on the ground in Prudhoe Bay before the helicopter got back with the, uh, with the injured crewman. Uh, phenomenal. So the, um, uh, and in fact, it was, I think it was John Smith's idea to dedicate the movie to the, to the two young guys that lost mm-hmm. their lives on that submarine. Mm-hmm. Now, tireless... After, the, uh, after they got the smoke cleared and everything was cool, they uh, submerged and operated with the camp for about a day just to make sure everything was nice. And then they were instructed by uh, uh, the Royal Navy to come on back. So they left. Yeah. Uh, and they actually were gone by the time the Stargate guys got there. Oh, man. Okay. And Don S. Davis also recently uh, passed away That was as a well. shock, wasn't it? My um, perfect health, yeah. you know? And I, uh, you didn't even get to see the film. I had a chance to, to sit down at a table at a convention in Burbank yeah. and chat with him. And I got my picture taken with him. We look yeah. like brothers, it turns out, in this picture. <laughs> um, hair, no hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other than that, you know. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, I mean, I, I, I felt bad that day. I mean, I'm, I don't cry. I sat on my, I was sitting, sitting by my computer reading Gate World. And uh, I had a tears in my eyes. That was just, yeah. uh, that was, it was devastating. Yeah. Were you aboard the sub when it broke through? Not at all. In fact, uh, now I have done that. I've probably been in the control room for a submarine surfacing almost 200 times. Quite a number. Oh, wow. Interestingly, I've done a number of surfacings from the control room, and because I was the officer in charge of the ice camp, my responsibility was to sort of be at the ice camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm there to dispatch helicopters and, and look after safety and all the rest of that stuff. So when the submarine surfaced, I was actually back at the ice camp. Oh, okay. And in fact, I was chatting with Bruce Woloshin on the way over here yeah. to tell him that, uh, in looking back on it, I have never seen a submarine surface through the ice, standing on the ice in person. You've always been on board. I've always been either on it or seeing it on video. Bruce has seen it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm going to make it a point next time to actually be out and watch one. Oh, wow. Now, when you're aboard, is the, do you feel this when it crashes it's through the ice? Is it jarring? Do you, they have to warn you? Every, every surfacing is a little bit different. 
Uh, I have had surfacings on submarines where you impact the ice and you're surfaced, and the only people that know it are the people who are in the control room. Look I'll be darned. But I've also had uh, surfacings where when you impact the ice and crash through, every, every man on the ship knows it. There's a little shuddering. There's some noise. It's never violent, but it's, uh, it can get your attention. How do you feel? I'm, I'm sure you're very modest, you know, when it, when it comes to continuum. But, you, I mean, as another one fan to another, you really... You being a fan helped make this happen, and Brad has said that it is his favorite, it is his most powerful work to date, the work that he's most proud of. Have you? You've obviously seen the film. What do you think of it? What are your impressions of the movie? As I love product? the movie. I thought it was. I mean, you know, I'm. I am, You're in it. I am biased. Yes, I am in it. I have actually lines in it. Yes. I think I, I, think I pull off me pretty well. They, you oh, know, you played yourself. Well, you didn't have a, I, I played a guy. You know, I wasn't anybody in particular. Uh, but uh, I thought it was a great movie. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I have discussed the movie with some people that I that I work with, some of the fans that I work with, my boss and Mike Hacking and those guys, and we're all in agreement that it's not just it's not just a good shoot 'em up, although it is a good shoot 'em up. It's not just a time travel story, although it is a time travel mm-hmm. story. There's a lot of character in it. It's uh, it's they get so much in an hour and forty minutes or whatever it is. There's so much meat in this movie. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. It's cherry picking the best of SG One. It really you know? is. It's it's remarkable. I don't know how to how to say it more than that. It's uh, it's wonderful. So what do you plan to do with the rest of your career? I told I told uh, John Smith yeah. that when Spielberg calls and says that guy on top of the submarine, he's perfect for my guy on top of the submarine movie. That it's okay to give him my name. Wormhole disengaged.